Welcome to 90% Mental. I'm your host, Grant Parr, and thank you for joining us for our 36th episode. What does it take to create a championship culture? What kind of buy-in do you have to have from your athletes to have this type of culture? Well, today I have Coach Sue Phillips, who is the varsity head coach for women's basketball at Archbishop Mitty High School out of San Jose, California, to talk about her culture. Coach has been with Mitty for over 26 years and has produced 21 league championships, 20 CCS championships, 12 NorCal championships, and six state championships. She was also awarded two Coach of the Year awards this year, one of them being a prestigious award, the Women's Basketball Coaches Association National High School Coach of the Year, and the Naisman National High School Coach of the Year as well. Not only does she have 667 wins in her career, she just came off one of her best seasons ever where they were 29-1 and and won 29 games in a row. So she's going to talk a little bit about this team and how special they were and gritty and mentally tough and resilient they were. But she does talk about one component that makes this team so special, and it's about the emotion of joy, how they just demonstrated at practice, before games, during games, of just being joyful. And you don't hear that often about high-powered teams are based off just being joyful, and that's what it should be. So it's really awesome to have her share her thoughts about this, this incredible team that went 29-1. and She also talks about how she coaches the hype. With a program like this that wins all the time, she makes sure that her team doesn't ride the highs too high and doesn't ride the lows too low. And she also talks about coaching the losses, considering in the past 26 years, this program has only lost 125 times. So when there's an athlete or athletes that are used to winning, it's very important to talk about the losses and how we learn from the losses, because this is how we get better as a team. So she really she really shares how she coaches against the hype and also how to deal with the losses. So again, I can't wait for you to listen to this interview in its entirety because you really get to understand the mindset of one of the best coaches in the country when it comes to women's basketball. Honored to have Coach Phillips on my show. It was such a blast to have her to talk about her mindset and to talk about how she runs her program. So without further ado, let's go talk to Coach Phillips. Hey, Coach, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Awesome. Well, I'm I'm very excited to have you on my show today. Not to only talk about your mindset as a basketball coach for women's varsity, but really just understand your your story and your journey that's taken you up to this point. Mm-hmm. And also learn a little about what it feels like to have the number one program in the country. So I'm really excited to have you on my show. Well, thank you, Grant, for having me. Awesome. Well, let's get this uh, show started like I always do. I always start the show off with my favorite question, which is, what does mentally tough mean to you? Oh, that's a great question. For us, we define it as mental toughness is the ability to focus through fatigue. And oftentimes, coaches will say, hey, it's you know playing through, you're feeling physically beat up, or you know my leg hurts. And we don't think that's being mentally tough. We think mentally tough is focusing through fatigue, being able to take the task at hand and really make that be the focal point. Um, there are voices that we hear when we're fatigued, mm. and oftentimes they become louder the more tired someone gets, and it takes them off their beaten path. And to be able to have the presence of mind to hone in at that task, whatever that next important thing is, that's a definition of mental toughness for us. 
Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, when you're going through fatigue and you do have those voices, that th that's the <laughs> moment where you don't listen to them, you actually talk to them so they don't control you. That's a great point. Yeah. So when you think about mental toughness, the athletes that you've coached, and I know mm -hmm. there's a lot of them that you've coached, who are a few of the athletes you've coached that are examples of being mentally tough? Wow. I've been blessed to coach a number of incredible athletes. Um, I think early in my career, one athlete that stands out is Carrie Walsh, mm -hmm. who you know is an Olympian beach volleyball player. Um, Carrie had an incredible ability to focus on the task at hand and, and bring in just an incredible mindset, uh, competitive mindset rather. And um, her mental toughness was off the charts. Um, Danielle Robinson is another one that comes to mind. She's currently playing for the Minnesota Lynx in the WNBA. Awesome. Um, another player with an incredible motor and competitive spirit and would be able to block out any kind of external uh, voices or distractions and be able to hone in at the task at hand. Those are, are two incredibly gifted but mentally tough players. Awesome. Yeah, you can see... Uh... You can definitely see it in Carrie, for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so when we think about, we're going to get in, in, into your mindset. So how would you describe your philosophy as a coach or your mindset as a coach? Well, I think as a coach, you try to continue to evolve, you know, evolve personally, professionally, and also with the times. Mm -hmm. I heard an interesting perspective on the effectiveness of a coach, and that is the more irrelevant we become, and the more effective we are as a coach. Mm. It's a pretty cool concept that if on game day, our players can rely on themselves and each other and not need us to help them with the in-game management adjustments, then we've done a fantastic job training them in practice. Right. Um, so uh, in terms of my philosophy, sure, I, I value teaching and teaching life lessons through the game of basketball. My philosophy involves empowerment and um, making sure that our student athletes are well equipped to be protective, productive members of society after basketball is said and done. That's beautiful. I love it. And there's, I, I've coached as well, and there's mm -hmm. nothing like it when you come to practice and they've already started practice for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's not only is that's a great feeling and they're, they're bought in. Mm -hmm. They're bought into the structure, the culture. Mm -hmm. So that's that's it's a beautiful thing when that happens. Yeah, I, I would say this year's team had an incredible culture in terms of their work ethic, the way they played the game. And, and if you could just not, if you didn't see anything, but you listened, you would hear the laughter mm. and the trash talking yeah. and <laughs> right. um, the communication on defense and offense and the teaching on the sidelines to each other. It was an amazing atmosphere amongst the, these group of young women it was a, it was a sisterhood uh, competitive but a healthy competitive yeah. uh, environment and I think that is a telling tale when you can listen and what you hear is probably speaks more to your culture than what you see yeah I agree and I definitely want to um, talk a little bit more about the culture as mm -hmm. well but before I get into that this is kind of a two-part question mm -hmm. How are you at, at practice as a coach, and how are you on day, game day? I think uh, I bring a lot more intensity in practice. Um, I think it's important that we can expose them to a level of chaos so that we can teach them to be comfortable with chaos. 
um, adversity is another way of looking at it yeah. when it relates to chaos. So we will we will do things like play with an underinflated butt basketball or maybe swallow the whistle as an official right. to get them to deal with some of these added uh, chaotic aspects of the game. And we're very demanding and intense, and we are striving for perfection. On game day, we try to be more of a fan. We try to be more of someone who helps them manage the game. You can't be uber critical on game day. There's right. just too much stress involved in being able to perform at their best, and their parents and friends are there. And So you really do have to switch gears with your kids. You yeah. almost need to be two different people Big time. from practice and game day. Big time. You know, it's, it's interesting. We've talked, you and I have talked before in the mm -hmm. past, and and I love it how you put situations for your players, the unexpected. Mm -hmm. You know, putting them in a, in a position where they are developing problem-solving skills. Mm -hmm. And not too long ago, I had um, Lisa Willis on my show, which mm -hmm. is a former WNBA player mm -hmm. who played for the Sparks and a few other teams and was incredible at UCLA, but she runs a bunch of camps, and we were talking about development, how we develop kids mm -hmm. in, in this society or in this day and age, and I shared with her about what you do, mm -hmm. about giving you know, the team a, a flat ball, so what do you do with it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So she was like, I'm going to use that. <laughs> cool. So that's great. So let's talk about culture a little bit. We know that even though there is a culture that exists here at MIDI, but the culture changes from year to year depending sure. on the players, mm -hmm. the dynamics. Mm -hmm. How do you get these players to buy into the culture, and how would you describe the culture here? Well, I think your, your culture has to be centered around your non-negotiables. Mm -hmm. So there are some non-negotiables in our program, and that's punctuality, that's respect, that's discipline. Um, then we have like standards on the court, like giving up offensive rebounds are non-negotiables. Whereas, <laughs> you know, turning the basketball over or missing a shot, those aren't necessarily non-negotiables for us. So that doesn't necessarily impact someone's playing time. Got it. Not hustling back on defense, that's a non-negotiable. And as, as you start talking about these things that, that center around our standards and expectations, that starts to mold your culture. Yeah. So that gives us our working culture. In terms of our behavioral culture, we want humor, we want intensity, yeah. we want peer evaluation and feedback. I'm constantly struggling with the lack of social skills with our kids as they're coming up, and it's something that I try to advocate for, or champion rather, in the classroom mm -hmm. with my students to make them communicate in person, to give and receive feedback, yeah. not texting it to each other, right? Exactly. Um, so... We, we work a lot on communication, and, and we go through great lengths. Phones are not allowed on buses. They have to put their phones away. Uh, phones are not allowed on team meals. Um, when we go on overnight trips, we take the phones. And that's not a control thing. It's to have them play games and, and do the things we did growing up, which yeah. allowed us to understand the social cues and to be able to mature as, as young adults. Because in their first job interview, they're not going to be able to text questions. <laughs> right. or, I mean, it's, right. it's nuts. But it's true. That's what we have to try to help them do. And what what better way than to be able to do that in the game that they love to play with people they love to play with, um, a very safe and supportive environment where they get to develop these communication skills. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. How would you coin your culture as far as? Would it be a communication culture, a working culture? 
Wow, I, I, I like to think of it like um, spokes on a wheel. Mm. So at the center of that is, you know, love of sport, love of that game. And yeah. then there's got to be a bunch of spokes that help support that endeavor. So that has to be, you know, personal development. That's got to be part of our culture. The ability, you're coachable. So our right. definition of coachability is being able to take the immediate uh, corrective measure Perfect. and implement it. It's not having a good attitude and working hard. That's the price of admission at the door. Right, exactly. You're not, you're not here if you don't do right. that. So, you know, there's all these different spokes that I think build into our culture, and it's, it's, it would be unfair to the kids and to our program to say it's one or two words because it's just it's too multidimensional. Right. What makes this this group so special and what makes this program so special? And I think that's cool. It's you know, obviously there are cultures out there that they coin their culture or something, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The earn it culture, the feel it culture. But mm-hmm. the beautiful thing is that you you understand my culture is so is so robust. Yeah. It's, it's and it's special. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard for me to actually put a I would have to do a sentence or three or four yeah. words. So so that's that's awesome. Well, let's switch to probably your most exciting season hmm. this past year. I'm sure there's a lot to talk about yeah. for sure. But what was it like when you were, when you found out that you're number one in the number one program in the country? And what was it like when you woke up the next morning? Well, you kind of knew, and after we won the Tournament of Champions in Arizona in December, you know, we beat the number one team, the number two team, and the number three team in four days. Wow. Back to back to back days. Yeah. You know, open up against Millennium, and then we play St. John's and St. Mary's and Riverdale from Tennessee. So to win, to win that tournament, you knew, because we were ranked fourth or fifth at that time in the country. And, and you know, ranking is just a projection of right. what people think you are in terms of how good you are. But the reality is it's the journey that matters. And what I'm most proud of is the sounds you hear in our gym. There's lots of joy and laughter. And there's also intensity and demands from each other. And um, ownership when someone makes a mistake. I mean, we're really seeing some amazing life lessons. And I'm proud of the development of these young women. That's awesome. Um, Yeah, it is. So, So while that number one next to our name, and it also ended up at the end of the season, we were dubbed national champions by ESPNW and USA Today. That's an incredible uh, accomplishment, but more affirmation yeah. of, of the way that we play or the brand of basketball that we've played. But quite frankly, I'm most proud of the culture and the, the group of young women that we have. I love it, I love it. And what, what do you think makes the 2017 team and 2018, what made them so special? Well, I don't think you can ignore the level of talent. I mean, you can't be number one in the country without a certain level of talent. Right. So I think you've got talent, you've got depth. You know, you start talking about Haley Jones, arguably the number one player in the class of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, Charisma Ortiz uh, graduated going to Penn State. I mean, she was just invited, one of 35 players, to the U18 national team trials for USA Basketball. And then Haley was awesome. invited to the U17 national team trials. Wow. So you're talking about two of the top players in the country, and then you still have your handful of Division One players. Right. And that's not to minimize any of our other players. It's just for you to understand that talent is such an important piece. But not only are they talented, they're unselfish. 
So over half of our baskets were assisted. And the way that, that we could win basketball games was also with our defense. And then you take kids like Haley and Charisma who can play multiple positions, which then allows us to diversify the way that we play and who's in the game and the combinations and what positions or things they can do on the floor or spots we can put them on the floor to be effective. It's yeah. just it's a really fun team to watch. Their brand of basketball is exciting, unselfish. We have a little bit of pizzazz, um, <laughs> and yet we're still fundamentally sound. Right. So... Yeah, there's there's a lot that, that made that team special. And if, if you don't mind sharing this story, because sure. you shared this with me before, but it, when we talk about this team, this past team being so special, mm -hmm. there was a moment, and I believe it might have been, I don't know if it was in the playoffs or it was the state game, but you know, typically teams before a big game, you know, they're in a locker room and everyone's <laughs> all quiet and everyone's all intense. Share with me that moment that what this team did. So let me rewind it a little bit. So in our last game, our senior game, our, our center, Nicole Blakes, had a uh, kind of a freak ACL injury. So she tore her ACL um, in our final league game on a, you know, blocking a shot like she does or did a, a gazillion times for us. And then with her athleticism was saving it and uh, the top of her foot grazed the floor she tried to react to save it, and then she tore ACL. And, and I, I may say that's our first ACL in seven years, wow. which is a, a great statistic, although one is one too many. Um, we've gone through great lengths to guard against that in terms of the ACL prevention, et cetera. So I give a shout-out to Coach Nichols, who's our <laughs> performance coach in the weight room and off-season conditioning. Anyhow, so Nicole, we, we have this injury, and obviously everyone just is so bummed for Nicole. Set aside how that impacts us as a team, more about the personal uh, devastation for Nicole is what we were all kind of feeling. So it was a difficult week, mm. really difficult week. And we, we then have our first playoff game. So I roll into the locker room and Nicole's in there by herself, which I thought was odd. And I said, Nick, where's the team? And she's <laughs> like, coach, I don't know. And I was like, well, can you find out? So next thing I know, she knocks on the locker, and she's like, is anybody in there? I mean, I'm talking like a locker, because like, we're in a locker room. Yeah, big lockers, uh, right? Yeah, supposedly. I didn't realize that at the time. <laughs> so then next thing I know, she knocks on it, and all of a sudden, the kids come piling out like the Muppets. They're like crampled up, and they're piling out and <laughs> dying laughing because right. they were hiding in the lockers. Right. Again, this is the nature of this group. They like to sing every pregame. When I walk in the locker room, they have their set of songs that they karaoke, yeah. and you got to roll with it because yeah. sometimes some teams, you know, want to meditate. This team wanted to laugh and, you know, cut jokes and hide in lockers <laughs> and karaoke. What are you going right. to do? Be joyful, right? Be joyful. That's great. It That's is. Great. I know this is going to be a kind of a hard question, but when you think of this team, mm -hmm. how would you describe them from... From are they mentally tough? Are they resilient? Are they gritty? Like how would you categorize them? Gosh, I don't know how I had to describe it in one word. They were the very best at flipping a switch. Mm. So they're cutting jokes, and the next thing I know is, all right, guys, we gotta we gotta focus on our shell defense here, our on ball defense. So we're gonna get into blah blah. And next thing I know, the eyes hone in, their body language has changed, they're in an athletic stance, 
they're ready to roll. So we, we call it flipping a switch. Right. So this group could go from these pockets of joy to this incredible competitive intensity in a matter, it, like a split second. Wow. It was, it was amazing. It was super cool. I love that when athletes and teams can just flip a switch, like you said, mm -hmm. but get locked in. Oh, they, yeah. Yeah. They locked in in a, in a matter of, of seconds. Wow. Collectively. Right. Wow. So that was fun. That's awesome. Now, again, you and I have talked about this. Obviously, I've coached as well. I've had mm -hmm. incredible seasons, not like yours, but <laughs> where you're so invested as a coach, mm. emotionally, physically, mm -hmm. mentally. You're invested in this team and the relationships. And when the journey's over and you walk away from it, at least my experience, I was a little empty. I was a little mm -hmm. empty on, well, what do I do next Monday? Where's my where's my players and where's those relationships? Where's that mm -hmm. communication? Mm -hmm. Where's that stimulation? And so I had I had to deal with that in my own way to mm -hmm. let it go. With all these years that you coached, and especially this past season, mm -hmm. how do you how do you let go each season as a coach? So I think, you know, you you talked about an important word, which is relationships. So building a relationship with your players, both on and off the court, is huge. And being an on-campus coach, I get to see them on my way to seventh period. I get to pop into the weight room during their eighth period strength conditioning class. Mm. So I make it a point to check in with them periodically throughout the year so that when that season is over, there is still that connection, there still is that communication. And don't get me wrong, I was really bummed to not be able to go to practice on Monday. Right. To hear all those noises collectively um, all that joy and teaching and empowerment and feedback, peer evaluation, so many positive things going on um, to affirm that we did things right in a lot of ways. Obviously, there's still room for improvement, things we could do differently, but there is a bit of an emptiness with that. The fact that I coach club helps. Mm -hmm. So I coach club and we've already started doing club and, and the majority of our kids do play within the same club program even though they might play with other clubs, which I think is good too. I still get to coach them in the off season. It's great. Which is great. But yeah, I don't think you can ever really, really fill the void of what it feels like at the, the finality of a season. Right. But if you can continue to invest throughout the year in those relationships and realize that basketball is what brings you together, but it's it the relationships go well beyond this season you had. I had the, the fortune of going to the Final Four, and the WBCA presented me with the National Coach of the Year. Wow. And I had 10 former players join me for that uh, festive affair. And it was amazing to be able to be with these women who are now have their own kids and wow. talk about those set of experiences and to affirm that it is about relationships. Right, exactly. What makes you a good coach? <laughs> uh I don't know that I think I'm good. I think I'm successful, mm -hmm. and um, I think I work hard. Certainly the numbers might argue that I, I'm good, but I think the minute you think you're good is the minute you're not good. I mean, I think you still have to have a little bit of an edge that I need to be better. So maybe that's a better way of saying it, because I realized that I had my share of success and that I can coach successfully, yeah. but I think you have to have that continued growth mindset that... I still can be better, and I should be better, and I want to be better. Exactly. So I think that's important. It's awesome. No, I agree. Now, with the success of your program, as a coach, how do you how do you coach the hype? Meaning, 
you know, as you guys are going throughout, even last year when you guys are beating the second team, the, mm-hmm. thir- the first, the second, the third team, so they're gaining this confidence, but there could be all this hype outside of their mm-hmm. confidence. There could be, you know, news reporters and social media. How do you coach that for them to focus on the right things and not get caught up in the hype? That's a really good point. I, I think it's important to realize you're never as good as you as people say you are. You're never as bad as people say you are. <laughs> you know. And so when we talk a lot about after games, it's something along these lines. We always say, "Hey, if you had a great game." Awesome, build on it. But if you didn't play as well as you would like, that's okay too because there's still tomorrow. And so we try to stay somewhere in the middle of all of that and really do focus on us and our journey as a team and getting better in different facets of the game mm. and enjoying our time together. Right. And, and so the hype really just becomes a bunch of white noise and becomes irrelevant to our process. That's how we look at it. Awesome. Well, I know there's... Nick Saban, who is the head coach for uh, University of Alabama, mm-hmm. he has a 24-hour rule. So mm-hmm. whether if you won or lost, you have 24 hours to deal with it, celebrate it, do whatever you need, and then you have to let it go. Mm-hmm. So that's how he kind of manages the the hype of winning and also losing too. And, and I think the next question is, because that you've experienced a lot of success here, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's not a lot of losses I know there's time from time mm-hmm, to time, mm-hmm. but how do you coach that? How do you coach when someone's so used to winning and then they lose? I think losing's as important as winning because the way that people handle winning and handling lo- handle losing should almost be the same. It's still <laughs> right. a, it's still a growth mindset. Right. And we have to remember that it is about the way that we approach playing the game and competing and being great teammates and bringing joy to the way that we play and honoring the game of basketball. So when you talk about all those things, winning and losing is really a byproduct of how you conduct your business. And oftentimes you can't control the scoreboard. I agree. You know, it it almost just becomes a, a product of things that you did on the floor. And so we don't get too high or too low over the wins and the losses. Got it. Focus on the process, trust mm-hmm. the process, mm-hmm. and then the numbers and the wins will come. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is easier said than done. Right. I mean, it's uh, right. a lot of those cliches. But, but truly, if you can lead your team with those set of behaviors and that you really are focusing on the process and the things that you say to your team are consistent with wins and losses, right. then they can digest those wins and losses a little bit better as well. Got it. So you've been coaching here for 26 years. Do you ever feel the pressure to uphold the the winning standard? I think pressure is an, an interesting word. I don't really know what that is. Meaning, I get up every day and I want to be my best. Mm-hmm. I want to be the best math teacher I can be. I want to be the best friend that I could be to a colleague. And I want to be the best coach I can be. And where the chips fall, they may. And because of our, our level of work ethic and the amount of talent we get and, and incredible coaching staff and the amount of time we put in, we are going to experience more than our share of success. But our end game is not to be national champions. That's, that happened to be part of the process. And it was an affirmation and a tremendous reward. But that isn't necessarily our end game every day. So, right. so this pressure that you talk about, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to be the best I can be. Awesome. That's great. Well, when we think about pressure, 
mm-hmm. sometimes pressure turns into to fear. Mm, good point. And I th- and I think what's really important now in today's sporting world, there's a lot of coaches and programs, whether if they're conscious of it or not, they they have this fear-based mm-hmm. coaching approach. The and, stick versus the carrot. R- right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and so I understand in some sports people do that. You know, and, and being in my role and even coaching football, like how do I take a fearful mind and make it fearless? But how do you, like, what's your take on, on fear-based pr- approach and in, in, within coaching? Well, I think you bring up a really big uh, point about this idea of fear or anxiety or nerves. Um, sometimes they kind of bleed into each other. So oftentimes before a big game, I asked the kids, I said, do you feel, you know, do you feel butterflies <laughs> or are they more like pterodactyls? <laughs> you know, they kind of laugh. And I said, guys, that's a great thing. That means you care. That means you care about the outcome. But quite frankly, guys, we can't necessarily control the outcome. We can control our effort and the kinds of things we're doing on the floor. Yeah. But take those nerves and number one, acknowledge it. And number two, run with it. You know, you're going to have a little more adrenaline. You're going to jump a little bit higher. You're going to be a little bit faster. And if you don't like that feeling, go really hard in pregame and get tired. Uh, (laughs) That will help, you know, minimize those physical effects. We also try to guard against this this outcome-based evaluation. So, for example, if a kid is struggling with their shot, oftentimes it's mental. Um, You know, there's some mechanical things we can talk about, but we talk about looking at the 10 shots that they took in the game and ask themselves, not if they made them, but did they execute the shot with great fundamentals? Did they execute the shot within the, the, the flow of the offense? Was it within their wheelhouse? Yeah. You know, you look at, were they 10 for 10 in that criteria? Then they were perfect from the floor. That's how we look at it. And I think oftentimes you can help kids with that fear of failure mentality or just the fear of the big moment by simply focusing on what we've done all along, which yeah. is is the skill right. or the mechanics or the corrective measure. And it all feeds into each other. It does. It's, um, in a way, it's kind of like baseball. You, you can go 0 and 4, mm-hmm. do everything right, and go mm-hmm. 0 and 4. Mm-hmm. And so what do we focus on? Are we focusing on trying to get a hit? Well, that's out of your control, because if we control getting a hit, Everyone would be solid out. contact. Just yeah, just make contact. Hitting the pitch that you want to hit. Exactly. You know, taking the pitcher deep in the count. There's so many good things <laughs> you can talk about. Exactly. Um, if you're over four, there's still some positives. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So your 600 win. Mm-hmm. What was that like? <laughs> I felt really old. <laughs> well, no, I mean you kind of you stop and go, whoa. That means I coached a lot of games. I've been doing this a long time. And, you know, while I wake up every morning and feel old, I think sometimes when you're coaching, you, you, you lose yourself in the moment and, and the set of experiences. In, in all seriousness, I, I, am, I am grateful to Archbishop Mitty, to my former players, my current players, former coaches, current coaches. None of that is possible right. without them. Right. I mean, let's, let's keep it real. I agree. Um, so a lot of things just go through your head. And you take a step back and it's kind of like, wow, I can't believe I'm here right now. Mm. Like that many years in with that amount of wins. And it, you become very nostalgic. You look back at those really those fun players to coach, those incredible seasons and um, losses that were the most you know, tough to yeah. pill to swallow, those kinds of things. Yeah. And you look back at those things. What about 
when you achieve 700 wins or even a thousand wins does that is that is that in your vision at all or in your mindset or is it with a walker are you talking about (laughs) 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 well i don't know if it's in the near future but yeah i mean i think it's funny you say those those milestone numbers but really i just want to win our next one yeah i mean and i think that's kind of how you get to 600 is you're just worrying about winning the next one without that being the focal point of the process but you just it is about you can't look at the milestone numbers you got to look at the process, and then yeah. one day you wake up and you're like, "Gosh, I, we've had some, we've had our share of wins," and that's kind of how we approach it. Yeah, and the, the process that you've actually implemented in this program has produced. Yes. You know, that's the reflection of the number, which is awesome. It's a byproduct. Yeah, exactly. So since you've been here for 26 years, does mm-hmm. it make it more special the fact that you're alumni and you've been here for 26 years? Yeah, I, I think being a product of the Archbishop Mini community generates a maybe a greater sense of pride yeah. for me. The other night I was at a at a watching the Warriors play and I was there with uh, a former player, um, a current player, and then her daughters, and it was like four generations of of monarchs. Wow. And to be able to to celebrate a game that we all love and cheer for a team we love and it's kind of what sports about is bringing people together in relationships and bringing joy to our lives. And, and we get to be a fan. Yeah. You know, exactly. Um, so yes, being an alum and a faculty member here, uh, just so much pride and community and sense of community here that helps us feel really good about what we're doing. Good. Good. You know, one coach that I uh, coach with, you know, when you're talking about having four generations of monarchs together hanging out. Mm -hmm. He was telling me, he's like, when I have football players that are actually in weddings together or Mm -hmm. someone's a best man, he's like, I've won. Like I have, for me that I've created this, this culture, but these relationships for these kids to really love each other throughout life beyond Mm -hmm. the sport. Yeah. They talk about a sisterhood. Mm -hmm. Our gals talk about a sisterhood and being there for each other. Yeah. Not just on the basketball court, but outside in the classrooms or in life, you know, they now have created friends that they can lean on to support each other and to go through life with. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, obviously you've had this successful career. Have you ever thought about the next level college Olympics? You know, well, I coached the national team, which was an incredible experience. Yeah. I want to talk Uh, about that. Yeah. We, we won a world championship and, and the FIBA Americas and seeing some of these, young women at that time now they're you know asia door at louisville and mm. katie lou samuelson at, at yukon um those those guys arike ambugale at uh, notre dame who you know as you know hit yeah. the game winner yeah. in the final four this year having those those women on our team and and working with them was such an incredible experience um and I did coach at the college level for less than a year. Um, it was awesome. I was at Cal as a recruiting coordinator. Loved working with the elite athlete. Loved game day preparation scouts. There's so much about it I loved. But I really wasn't a fan of recruiting. Um, you know, you're kind of paying homage to an 18-year-old to put bread on your table. So for me, mm. being a math teacher is what pays my mortgage. Right. And exactly. that's, a, that's a really nice uh, perspective for me and um, a work-life balance that allows me to be um, have, uh, my hands in teaching and then also basketball, 
but I'm not eating or sleeping one of those things. Right. Um, and I think as a college coach, your your life revolves around recruiting, and you need to be available at the drop of a hat to talk to a recruit or call a recruit. And geez, I don't know. I just I just don't want to do that. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. I no. mean, it's just it's just not my cup of tea. Got it. Well, when you coach the under 17 the mm-hmm. Olympic team, obviously I can only imagine the team you had was just incredible. You know, mm-hmm. the team you were just talking about. But what was it like winning gold? <laughs> well, you know, winning a world championship was amazing because it's like in the world, yeah, right. the best in the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I also know we barely beat Spain, right? Mm-hmm. Like the game could have went either way. So there was a tremendous amount of gratitude to be able to be standing on the podium yeah. getting the gold, mm. but also recognizing, you know, it could have been silver. <laughs> but it wasn't. Right. It was the gold. Yeah. Um, so we had a tremendous amount of gratitude, and uh, we were happy to be world champs. But I also remember the time we spent seeing the Eiffel Tower. We had a friendly tournament in Paris, mm. and to walk the streets of Prague. So while you know I hang on to that gold medal and that experience of being a world champion, I also really hold near and dear to my heart those experiences we had off the court right. of being able to travel the world because of basketball. Yeah. That's a, that's a really cool and special that's, experience. That's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As a coach, what keeps you up at night? Feeling like I should have done things differently. Really? Mm-hmm. In, in what regard? You know, um, substitution patterns. Maybe I, I, I didn't see that a kid was struggling in class, and now in retrospect, I, I realize that's what it was, and so then they brought it onto the court, and I just thought they weren't going hard when the reality was they had something else on their in on their mind so the things that that bug me most is is what I should have done differently and I'm, I'm learning to be better about that to acknowledge what should have been done differently what's the corrective measure and then move on it's kind of hypocritical that I expect that of my players and right. and I need to be better of that as well is you know address it deal with it and move on right um, because the losing sleep over your next opponent, I mean, there's, we now have a process, right? I watch film, study them. We have our set of our system in place. This is how we are going to attack them. Here is our set of strengths. So that's all very systematic. Right. Those kinds of things, I don't lose sleep over. But if that didn't go well, then I'll look back and say, okay. Right. And so we've really tweaked our system in a way that has allowed us to, to win a lot of basketball games because we do a lot of that stuff right. Right. Where we as a staff worry most is in player development and our management of our staff and our players. Right. That's where I, I and, and we as a staff want to be better, and that's in large part why I went back to school to get my uh, master's in performance psychology, is to be better, a better communicator, and to be better at understanding how people are hardwired differently and how everyone's motivated differently and how we as coaches have to tweak things to, to best meet the needs of those student-athletes. I love it that you went back to school and, and got your master's in performance psychology. Mm-hmm. How much do you implement mental performance skills, sports psychology? How, how do you? How much do you implement that within your well, program? I, I think all the time. Mm. I mean, when you think about when we talk about outcome-based yeah. coaching versus process-based coaching. Right. So, you know, if you don't have a clue about performance psychology, you are the one that's saying you were two of ten. What are you doing? Right. You know. The way that we approach the 10 shot attempts 
is right in the wheelhouse of performance psychology. Uh, we bring up a Venn diagram about turnovers. And we say turnovers is not necessarily the worst thing that you can do. And we talk about the scenarios and when they are good. You know, when you're making an aggressive play, mm -hmm. sometimes you're going to turn the ball over. We want to push the envelope. We have to be willing to take the risk to be successful on the court and to also empower these women. They have to take risks. And by taking risks, sometimes you're going to skin your knee. Yeah, exactly. And that's part of the process. And, and having setbacks on the floor is okay. Right. So the way that we approach our coaching and our management of players is all centered around performance psych. I don't think you can be successful or create an atmosphere that is um, joyful and that, <laughs> that is embracing of all walks of life and all different kinds of hardwiring without some knowledge or application of performance psych. We all know, and I, um, this is a general statement, we mm -hmm. all know how important the mental game is. Mm -hmm. But not all programs, not all high schools, even college, and even there's some professional teams, they've not bought into it yet. Do you think at least at the high school level, do you think that mental performance, sports psychology, it's been integrated? Like, is, like it's something that is probably more used now and more accepted, or do you think there's still a ways to go? Um, you know, I think because of the internet and things like your podcast and yeah. social media, there has been so much literature out there now about ways in which they can do mental imagery or um, kids can look at performance restoration in different ways. And that when we look at someone's confidence, it's fluid, right? Yeah. It's not always like, well, I got to 10, so I'm never going to be a nine. Right. <laughs> um, it drops to a six sometimes. And some days it's an eight and other days it's a 10. And so you have to understand that that's going to fluctuate. And that's okay. That's part of the journey of being an athlete. So I do still think we need um, room for improvement in that our coaches need to be ed educated and their resources have to be more available for them to know what to do and how to help and then maybe bring in other people to support them in that mental game endeavor. Yeah, I agree. I agree. One more question before we, we wrap up here. Sure. So when you think about your career, you've produced 21 league championships, 20 CCS championships, 12 NorCal championships, and six state championships. Wow, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> Thank you. What what drives you for the next season? When you have all of that success behind, what drives you to... You know, if you walked in our gym and, and you, you see our kids, you would go... Gosh, they go hard. And what drives me is they deserve my best. Mm. Like, I see the amount of commitment and effort and drive that they have. I owe it to them to be my best. So what drives me is to be my best because I owe it to the people who are giving it to me. Mm. And so there's this beautiful reciprocation for the people that we work with. And that's what we say when kids are kind of like, hey, I don't know if I want to play next year. I was like, hey, you shouldn't. <laughs> You, I mean, you right. know, and, there's, and it's I, like, look, you know, we work too hard and, and our staff is too committed and, and you know your teammates are going to want you to be right. committed. Mm -hmm. So if, if you don't want to be here, that's okay. We still love you, right? You, yeah. you can still, you know, work on uh, a different endeavor. But, I mean, that's the bottom line, right, is right. we want to be equally committed. And, and that's you know, the beauty of it because there's this incredible drive that's reciprocated from the kids as well as the coaches, and that's why we continue to just – move up and up and beyond and forward. Yeah. 
That's awesome. I love it. Thank you. I love talking with you. Likewise, Grant. Thank and you. I really thank you for your, your energy and, and sharing your journey and your mindset, uh, being a coach at this level. But, you know, with my years of being an athlete, my years of working with coaches and athletes and teams on the mental game, and being exposed to a, a plethora of coaches, mm -hmm. you truly are one of the special ones. And well, it's the reason you, why man. that your program is the way it is. Because you, uh, I think you cover all aspects of being a great coach. Well, geez, Grant, that's quite a compliment. Thank you very much. And, mm -hmm. and hopefully, uh, you know, five years from now, we're, we're better than we are, and myself included. That's a goal and objective is to be better tomorrow. Awesome. Thank you, Grant. You bet.